Hey guys, just a friendly warning that this episode contains dialogue about early pregnancy loss and miscarriage, which some people might find triggering. If that's you, feel free to skip this episode. Thanks, everyone. Welcome, everyone. This is Me, Myself, and Millie, a podcast about pop culture and hot goss through the lens of your nosy neighbor. And I'm your host, Millie Brooks. This is episode 27. And in keeping with the theme of infertility this season, today we are going to talk about miscarriage and early pregnancy loss. Why are we going to have this conversation? Well, because we need to. We need to break the stigma and taboo associated with talking about miscarriages. Um, People are expected to deal with this in isolation. It's an invisible problem. And the more we talk about it, the more we hold space for it to be part of conversations, I think the more awareness we can bring and spread to everybody. And we might you know, make people feel not so alone when they're going through this um, or feel like they can share their story um, and not have to deal with this in isolation. So before we get to the interview, the guest today is um, my good friend, Laura Pascal Brown, who also happens to be a doula. And she is on today, and she is going to share her story about what it was like having a miscarriage a few months ago. And, um, well, you'll hear it, and it's just so, it just still brings, you know, it gives me goosebumps, and um, the way Laura explains her experience is so eloquent and beautiful. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's gorgeous. And I really hope, um, you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed talking with Laura about this really difficult and complicated and challenging subject. So before we get to the interview, I wanted to just run through some basic Basic, basic facts here about miscarriage. Um, Everything that I'm about to read to you is pulled from or was pulled from uh, Planned Parenthood. So what is a miscarriage? Miscarriage is when an embryo or fetus dies before the 20th week of pregnancy. Miscarriage usually happens early in your pregnancy. Eight out of 10 miscarriages typically happen in the first three months. Lots of people experience this kind of pregnancy loss. In fact, 10 to 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. But even though miscarriage is common, it can be emotionally difficult. Feelings of grief and loss are normal after losing a pregnancy. The medical term for miscarriage is spontaneous abortion. What are the causes of miscarriages? It can be difficult to know exactly what a miscarriage, why a miscarriage happened. 
but it's almost never caused by something the pregnant person did. Normal activities like sex, exercise, working, and taking most medicines do not cause a miscarriage. Minor injuries like falling, for example, also don't generally cause a miscarriage. Some things that are known to cause miscarriages include when the fertilized egg has an abnormal number of chromosomes. This happens at random, so you can't prevent it or cause it to happen. Um, Certain illnesses, like severe diabetes, can increase your chances of a miscarriage. A very serious infection or a major injury may cause miscarriage. Late miscarriages after three months may be caused by abnormalities in the uterus. And the last um, known cause of a miscarriage is if you've had more than two miscarriages in a row, you are more likely to have um, another miscarriage. The biggest takeaway from this data is that it is very common to have a miscarriage, but because people don't talk about it, it becomes this invisible problem that people have to experience alone and in isolation. So to break the norm and to come out and have a conversation about this topic is registered doula Laura Pascal Brown, who went through her own miscarriage a couple of months ago, and she's here to share her story with us. Here's the interview. Laura, it is so great to have you on the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me. How, why don't we, um, well, how are you, first of all? We're kind of in the middle of this coronavirus crisis. How are you doing with it all? Uh, I am under strict quarantine. I have suspected coronavirus, although I don't know if it is or not because there are no tests, but I'm actually not feeling that bad. I'm just under quarantine. So, well, I'm, I'm glad that you, the symptoms aren't severe in a, you know, that you can still function and you can still join us for a interview today. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we get started and um, with you giving people a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Because I think that, you know, that all sort of is um, colors the world that um, you're in. Sure. So um, I uh, am Laura. I have been living in the States now for about a decade and um, and in my day job, I am a birth doula. Um, so that's um, a woman who helps other women to give birth. And um, I also uh, do what I call soul doula, where I help women to give birth to themselves in a spiritual way. And um, I live in upstate New York, just near Woodstock. Great, great. A soul doula. I, I, that is the first time I've ever heard of that term. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's probably because I made it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like I the term it. life coach. And um, 
I realized that what I do in my coaching is actually very similar to what I do in, in my birth work, which is I witness women being amazing and powerful and going through hard things. And um, so I thought, soul doula, why not? I love it. I think everybody needs a soul doula. It's true. We all do. Yeah. I love it. I want to, I think you need shirts that say soul doula on them. <laughs> That's great. I'll look into that. Yes. Okay. So, um, tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, and you know, cause I think when I first met you, you were married in San, right? In San Francisco. Yes. Uh, yes, indeed. That was, <laughs> that was husband number two. <laughs> hey, um, t- yeah. you know what? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta weed them out somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, indeed. So we, we weeded together. Uh, we moved back to the East Coast together. And we, I think you called the term, the slightly wanky term is conscious uncoupling. <laughs> um, and we're extremely good friends still. And, um, but yes, we uh, parted ways largely because I really wanted to move out of the city. And he um, grew up in Manhattan. And so his idea of moving out of the city was going to Brooklyn. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, that, that was actually a, a, a one small piece of my journey in the last five years, I would say towards kind of slowing down my life and getting more in contact with my body. Um, and I had started to do birth doula work in San Francisco, having before that spent five years doing a PhD um, and obviously really being in my head in that way and feeling increasingly called to do work that where I could have, you know, with my students when I was teaching um, psychology, I could sort of doula them and I did a lot and I actually that's why I still have contact with a lot of them but um I realized that actually I enjoyed that much more than teaching them psychology (laughs) so Mm -hmm. so I thought then maybe there's a job that is like this and there was and it was birth doula work so got it and so tell us about your current partner so my how did you guys meet Right. Well, so I I ended up moving um, into smaller and smaller places until I ended up moving to a tiny town in Massachusetts where population 911 people. And, (laughs) And, you know, having grown up in big cities, I grew up in Manchester in the UK. This was, you know, a, a a big difference. I'd been in living in San Francisco and New York and Buenos Aires. And so this was really an exploration for me. And I used it as a time for retreat from the world in many ways to heal my body, to heal my soul, to do a lot of writing, to do some online soul doula work, to get in touch with my menstrual cycle um, and hug a lot of trees. And um <laughs> And, you know, when I you love it, <laughs> I love yeah. it. Oh, I, oh, I, I actually think trees got me pregnant, but you can ask me about that later. So, <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> um, and so 
you know, when you when you go on online dating apps in Brooklyn, you know, you put in your zip code and then you say a radius. And I think in Brooklyn, I had like a five mile radius and there were a gazillion men. And I put my zip code into the app and I put a five mile radius and three men came up. And the first one was kind of semi naked and holding a big assault rifle. And I was like, God. (laughs) And I was like, swipe left. (laughs) And the next one didn't really have many of his own teeth left. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's mean of me, but I also swiped left again. Well, it's hygiene. You know, it's just hygiene. hygiene. You know, you either have it or you don't. There there you go. And by the third one, I was like, Jesus, you know, this place is obviously not full of eligible bachelors. And so I just swiped left on the third one, too. And then that night, a friend of mine was visiting and I was complaining about the fact that I had to chop my own kindling because I was living in a house where I only had a wooden stove. Oh, wow. In Brooklyn? No, no, in this tiny little town of nine hundred people. In Massachusetts, okay. That would have been very funny, though. In Brooklyn, with only a wooden stove. I think that might be illegal, actually, in Brooklyn. I'm not sure. Um, And so I had to chop my own kindling with an axe, which you know I was getting better at, but I still wasn't exactly a pro. And I was complaining to my friend about this, and he said, "Look, you've complained about this four times. I'm sick of listening to you." And so he shoved me in his truck and he drove me to my neighbor who was like, you know, a minute and a half drive away or whatever. And he said, look, this guy's going to have kindling for you because he he's a woodworker. He, he makes furniture. And as as this man opened the door to his wood shop, I took one look at him and I was like, oh, God, I swiped left on you this morning. <laughs> oh, God. That was my first thought. And my second thought was, and you're really sexy. Um, (laughs) and so long story short, a week later I was ovulating, AKA I was horny. And so I decided to go to his house and seduce him and the rest is history. Wow. Yes. (laughs) So how long have you guys been together? Um, about two and a half years. And, um, I, I wanted to move into a co-housing facility uh, or a co-housing community. And so I now live um, 90 minutes away. And so we see each other. You know, I basically do a commute once a week and we spend two or three days together. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So um, so let's get into what it was like to experience an early pregnancy loss and maybe tell us you know, tell us what happened when you found out that you were actually pregnant. Sure. Um, well, I was not expecting it. Um, although to be fair, I wasn't exactly really being that much of an adult about contraception either. Um, you were doing the pull and pray method. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I'd been doing that most of my life, if I'm being honest. Sorry, mom. Um, <laughs> and had never gotten pregnant and so had sort of told myself, well, I'm clearly not that fertile. And um, in the few years before this, I had gotten to know my cycle. And um, and so I knew the days that were safe and I knew the days that weren't safe to do that. Um 
But I had also been told two years previously by um, a psychic that I would get pregnant after just, she said, you're going to get divorced and then you're immediately going to get pregnant. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen because my divorce is already in the works and there's no one around to get me pregnant. Um, And then my divorce got lost in the New York City state system for two years (gasps) or whatever. (laughs) And finally came through in August and I got pregnant in September. Wow. Wow. So I I have a feeling that it wasn't my dodgy contraceptive method. It was just that the universe had decided we were going to get pregnant. But that's mm. that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been tracking my cycle. I knew how long my longest cycle was. It was always I'd never gone over 34 days, and so when I got to day 35, I was like, mm, I think I might need to buy a test. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what day do you typically ovulate? Because um, I mean, we all know that like any girl, I love how in tune you are with your cycle because women, I mean, I just started getting in tune with my cycle and, you know, the things that you find out along the way are just crazy, you know? Yes. Um. It's true. I mean, it, and it's amazing how, you know, the sexual revolution happened in the 60s. And yet, despite that, we women have, I mean, I suppose now I think about it, it's because we've become reliant on the pill, really. And so, you know, what's the point of tracking your cycle? Um, and um, it was because my body reacted poorly to the pill and... Um, And also just I felt like, okay, this is a part of my world that I don't know. I know about birthing now. Why the hell do I not know about my cycle? And Mm. so I started tracking it. And I typically, so my cycle is varied, actually. The shortest it usually is is about 27 days, and the longest is 34. Um, when, When your period is, quote, late, Um, so let's say, you know, I mean, actually right now it's gone to 28 days, which is of course, supposedly what it's meant to be. So let's say if I, next month I go quote late, that doesn't mean that I had my period late. It means that I ovulated late. Right. Right. Which I think most of us don't know. I certainly didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't either. Right. And of course, that's really crucial if you're trying to get pregnant and if you're trying not to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, So most women will ovulate about 12, 13 or 14 days before they bleed. Um, And once you know what your day is, I think it pretty much stays the same. I could be wrong on that. But so if you know and the, of course, the way to know when you're ovulating, there are many ways to know. Some women actually feel it physically. It feels like a little cramping mm-hmm. uh, where your ovary is. So, of course, it would be on the left side or the right side, and they tend to alternate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, don't feel that cramping. don't alternate every other month. That was interesting that I just found out. I did not know that. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's like they they alternate, but it could be like the left size or the left side will release an egg six months in a row. And then the right egg or the right side might release an egg 
you know, one or two months, and then it will go back to the left. And then, but it's never consistently alternating, but it definitely alternates. Okay. So it sounds like you might have a dominant um, ovary, um, or it sounds like women in general have a dominant ovary. Yes, I think so. I think so. But I was really surprised to hear that at all. Like, I thought it was every other, every other, you know, side, every other month. Right. But my right. my um, fertility specialist said, no, it, it will vary. Okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, sorry so for interrupting. Just, I, no, no, I'm glad you said, cause you just educated me. I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, so some women feel a bit of a pain. I do not. And so I have some other options. I, I tried for a while doing the taking one's temperature thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I didn't give it long enough, but I felt like I wasn't seeing enough of a shift in my temperature to really use that. And, and I was, you know, I was using the proper thermometer and all of that, the basal thermometer. So, um, I think the thing for me that has been the most consistent is my ovulatory fluid. Um, the cervical mucus. Exactly. So we all get fluids at different times of the month, but, um, during ovulation, that tends to be one, one of two kinds of fluid. One is kind of like egg white fluid. So if you put it between your fingers, you can stretch it a couple of inches. Um, and then, and I get that sometimes, and that's obviously really clear when you get that because you, you wipe and you can feel it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's then the slippery other, and slidey. Yeah. It's like a slip and slide down there. Yes. And then the other kind I get, and again, it's interesting that you said it alternate, the, the, the ovary alternates, but not every month, because I'm noticing that my cervical fluid does the same thing. My, my, um, there was a while for several months where I always had the egg white fluid around yeah. that time. And now it seems to have gone for, for the last several months, it seems to have gone to, um, a very runny, pungent fluid. Mm. So it's almost like if I'm not wearing underwear, it will literally just like run down my leg. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and the purpose of those fluids is basically to keep the sperm alive inside your vagina until you ovulate. And so that fluid doesn't necessarily signal that the egg is present yet, but it signals that the egg is on, is on its way in the next three to five days. You're explaining all of this stuff better than I ever could. Because <laughs> well, I honest, I mean, finding all of this stuff out was so like groundbreaking to me, you know? Right. And I, I wish that like, I knew about it. I don't know. I just wish I knew about my body when I was at a younger age. And I wonder how that would inform, I don't know, how I feel about my body. Right. Yeah. So... Well, I mean, I think that this has a huge link to how women feel about birth and birthing and pregnancy too, actually, because imagine if at the age of, you know, 12, 13, whenever you get your first period, you started tracking it. By the time you come to um, think about getting pregnant, you would be really one. You'd be an expert. 
You'd be an yeah. expert on your own body. Exactly. And so the fear around it, um, the lack of knowledge around it, the lack of trust would be so much less. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And in fact, I can see from Google Analytics that the most people who come to my website have found it because they've typed in the words spiritual mens uh, spiritual menstruation. Mm. So it's it's on the rise. Um, wow. or, or spiritual fertility. Um, so I think, you know, again, like I said before, the 60s were the sexual revolution. I think we're witnessing, you know, the birthing revolution began 10, 15 years ago. I think we're witnessing that now in fertility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Which is um, great. I mean, yeah. I think that tide is is long overdue to shift. Agreed. Agreed. Um so, yes, yeah, so I had been tracking this for probably two or three years. The irony, of course, is that I still got blindsided. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. I, I mean, you know, again, remember my story, and I'm sticking to it. The universe had decided two years before that I was going to get pregnant. It's not my fault. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yes. um, I, you know, I had, you know, been tracking it. And so what I knew was, okay, if I'm on day 35, then there's a good chance something is happening. Um, and so I went to, you know, the pharmacy and I grabbed myself a pregnancy test, but I was still very much in denial at that point. Um, I was kind of telling myself, well, it's probably not because I don't really remember like a whoopsie moment. So, you know, let's just rule out the pregnancy thing before I start worrying about other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, are you there, Laura? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me there to keep are. going? Yeah. Um, I just missed the last, um, like maybe 10 seconds of what you said, your last couple of seconds, okay. sentences. Okay. I mean, I was, I was saying basically I was still very much in denial, even, right. even though it was day 35, I was just kind of telling myself that I was ruling out the pregnancy thing before I looked into other stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so when you said back to tracking your cycle and when you said it was sort of an oopsie situation, do you mean that when you conceived, it wasn't typically around your ovulation that you have historically tracked? Um, I would say no. I mean, I'm I'm sure that it must have happened around that time. But I, what I, what I mean by that statement is there wasn't anything that had happened that was particularly untoward or different from any other month. Got it. In terms of contraception, is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah. Yes, Got exactly. it. Got it. Um, so, okay. So you found out you were pregnant. Take us from there. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I took the test and I, it was one of those little tests that actually had the word on it. And I'm glad because if it had been the lines, I think I would have, you know, I'm just not very good at that kind of stuff. It actually said on the window, you know, pregnant. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I have taken several pregnancy tests in my life. And, and, and honestly, until I saw that word, I was like, I'm not pregnant. Um, and... So the moment I saw that word, 
I think I started laughing hysterically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and that for the for about five or ten minutes, I went between hysterical laughing and yelling "Holy fucking shit!" at the top (laughs) of my lungs. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, And I was on the phone with my partner, and so you know he was listening to this whole thing and having his own reaction, which was a lot calmer than mine. Um, and cause he just, he just runs more, less anxious than I do in general. Um, what a gift. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Thank God. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but we were both clearly having a reaction and clearly a bit in shock and, um, you know, he was 90 minutes away. So after being on the phone for a bit together, he then jumped in the car and, and drove, um, the 90 minutes. And, um, while I was waiting for him to, to arrive, I, you know, did what any sensible woman would do. I pulled tarot cards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, the, the miscarriage was right in there. Um, Mm. and, you know, obviously with all tarot card readings, they can all be interpreted exactly how you want to. And so I saw the three of swords, which is heartbreak and loss. And I chose to interpret it as, okay, maybe this pregnancy is going to throw up a lot of hard things Mm. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna have to face my own demons or something while I'm pregnant um and I think I chose to interpret it that way because literally from the first few minutes I mean I obviously had a very hysterical reaction for the first few minutes but after those that initial response was over. I just, I dropped straight into my body and I was like, I want to be a mama to this little soul. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that was very visceral and not at all based on, you know, rational thinking brain. This was very yeah. much like, you know, I think any woman who, Actually, I don't know if any woman, I will take that back. But I definitely had this, like, dropping in in that moment. And um, it was like, do I want this baby? Yeah, yeah, of course. It was like, of course, from the beginning. That's cool. That's That's a nice feeling. Yeah. That's a beautiful feeling after such a surprise. You know, I'm sure you were surprised Mm. when you found out. Um, That's a lovely, just a lovely, gorgeous reaction to it. A dropping in. Yes. And not at all the reaction I was expecting, really, because, you know, I'm one of these people who has flip-flopped on the question her entire life. Um. And a lot of that has been around feeling out of control in my partnerships. Um, But a lot of it has also been about other things, including, you know, God, look at the state of the world. Who am I to bring a new soul into this world at this point? And, you know, that kind of thinking. 
Um, and one of the utter blessings of this pregnancy was that I just, the, that flip-flopping went away. And I think it was because my brain was not involved in the decision. You know, mm. it was my body and, and I don't know, maybe my right brain was just like, yes. And it's, it's also really for the same reason, strengthened our partnership. I just got very, very clear in the first two or three weeks of being, of knowing I was pregnant that, um, you know, that I feel safe and secure and loved in this partnership. Mm. Wow. And so, um, what was your partner's response? He, he drove, obviously drove the 90 minutes to meet you. Yes. Yes. And, um, you know, he came through the door and, and we didn't need to exchange any words. I just kind of jumped up into his arms and we stood there together, just hugging and crying and swaying together. And, and it was clear that we were both very much on the same page. And, um, you know, like I said, he's more grounded than me in general, and he's already a father. He has, um, a 12 going on 13 year old. Um, and so he, you know, he's, it's not his, it wasn't his first rodeo. Um, and so I think, you know, he had less of the flip-flopping energy than I did to start with. Um, and so we both really sank in together quite quickly. There was definitely no discussion of are we or aren't we. Mm -hmm. And so, um, walk us through the time period between realizing you were pregnant and realizing that you were having a miscarriage. Sure. So, um, it was about a two month period. I, I found out at the beginning of September and then I miscarried, um, on, uh, at sort of beginning of November And, you know, again, one of the confusing things that once you learn to track your cycle, this doesn't make any sense to you, but the way that we track pregnancy and the number of weeks is from the first day of your last period, not from when you ovulated. So even though I found out, you know, basically two weeks after I'd ovulated and, and so, or a little over two weeks after I'd ovulated and that was clearly the moment of conception at that point, according to the way we track it, I was already four weeks. Um, and you know, I, I kept saying to people, you know, I'm 39 years old and I've never been pregnant before. And so, you know, I kept saying to people, you know, of course, knowing my, you know, given my age, anything could happen. And I knew that on a very cognitive level, um, it became clear when the miscarriage happened that I had not, that had not sunk in really on an emotional or visceral level that I could lose the pregnancy. I think, um, by the time I miscarried at 10 and a half weeks, um, I was convinced I was having that baby. Um, Mm. and, um, you know, I had experienced most of the first trimester, which, you know, I actually another 
reason why I took the test on day 35 was because the first symptom that showed up was just such tiredness that I remember basically feeling like lying down and sleeping on the kitchen floor because climbing the stairs to my bedroom seemed like too much of an effort. Um, and I, you know, I mean, obviously I've experienced tiredness before, but, but the, the fatigue that the first trimester brought me was like on another level. Um, and, and then the food thing, you know, I got lucky. I was not somebody who wanted to puke all day, every day, but it was clear that I had to eat every two to three hours or I would want to puke. And so I would get that sort of beginning of nausea and then I would have to eat. And so I became an eating and sleeping machine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was attending births during that time. And so, you know, I had a couple of challenging births where I was, I think one of them, I was awake for two nights in a row, pretty much. Um, and that was when I was around six and a bit weeks pregnant. And um, I don't know how I got through that. Wow. <laughs> I don't know how I got through that. I, the, the, the birthing couple did not know I was pregnant because obviously telling them, you know, was, didn't seem like relevant information. Helpful. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and, um, but I had a lot of snacks and I was doing, I mean, you know, as a birth doula, you get good at self-care or you burn out. Those are your two options. Um, and so given that I've been a birth doula for about five years now, I have gotten, uh, good at self-care. And so, you know, I had to kick that into hyperdrive and I had so many snacks with me. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, when, a, whenever dad went for a food run for the mom, I, you know, and he said, do you want food? I would say yes. Um, so we got through that together and, um, and I did, you know, a few births and, and just slept as much as I can. And, you know, obviously birth, birth work is difficult, but it was difficult in a different way to had I had a nine to five job where, you know, there would have been no mid afternoon naps ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I enjoyed it. I think, I think I was aware at the time also that I wasn't quite as joyful as I was expecting. Um, I was kind of hoping that pregnancy would just fill me with the joys of spring and I would be constantly in love with my body and constantly meditating on my womb. And, you know, there were moments of that and it was definitely a magical experience. And also, you know, my life and my crazy mind continued. Um, and so, you know, and, and I think people tell me that the second trimester, you know, it gets a little more fun. So I didn't get to experience that. So who knows what I would have been like then. Um, but it was definitely, you know, full of the ups and downs and highs and lows of life. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'm glad that I was in tune with my body before it happened because I definitely did really listen to my body. Um, it totally rejected caffeine, like wouldn't even let me look at a cup of black tea and pretty much totally rejected sugar apart from uh, when I would go into the pharmacy and you know how there's like 
candy right there by the checkout. And one day mm-hmm. I'm in the pharmacy and I see a, a packet of Skittles and, and my mouth starts to salivate. And I'm like, oh, baby, like I have standards. I'm not going to give you Skittles. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the kid had, had no standards when it came to sugar. It wouldn't let me eat my lovely dark chocolate, but it wanted Skittles. So I don't understand that. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, and so, so you said you were 10 and a half weeks when you found mm-hmm. out that you were miscarrying. And what was the first sign of that? So I... I woke up in the morning and I was lying in bed and as usual, I was very tired, but I really needed to get up to go to the bathroom. And I felt like I had that sort of burning sensation that I, that I associate with a UTI. So like a, almost like a stinging in that area. Mm -hmm. And I thought, Oh God, you know, do I have a UTI? Um, And so I waddled out of bed to the bathroom and I peed and, and the, and the burning station kind of continued. Um, and then I stood up, I wiped and I stood up to flush and I, I saw a trickle of blood. And, and I just screamed. Like I mm. screamed and I started yelling for my partner who thank God was there at the time, at, at my house at the time. And he ran up the stairs and, you know, he's been through a pregnancy with his his you know, 12 year old. So he was reassuring and he said, you know, this can totally happen, which it can, you know, lots of women get bleeding in the first trimester or spotting. Um, and so he, he said, you know, this could just be totally normal. Um, and, you know, being a birth jeweler and being involved in that world, you know, I also knew on some cognitive level that this could be normal, but I just remember I was just I was already in like very anxious mode Um, and I had already engaged the services of a home birth midwife, um, which, you know, is obviously quite early to do that. Most women wait until they're out of the first trimester. But I just, you know, I'm in that world. So I knew one and had already, you know, uh, found one. And um, and so I took a picture. And I immediately texted it to her. And I said, you know, should I be concerned? Um, and she was very calm and very loving. And she said, you know, have you had sex in the last day or so? And I said, yes, we have. And she said, okay, so it could just be that. You know, you could just have some broken capillaries in there. I think that's what she said. Um, and so she advised me to rest and and not do anything. Don't do any heavy lifting. Don't move too much. Don't do, you know, just stay put, put your feet up, rest. And so I did that. I put my feet up and I rested on the couch and I started to feel what felt like the beginnings of kind of period belly. Mm. Um, Cramping. Yeah. You know, I have never experienced too much cramping in my, in my period. I've, I've tended to be on the very low end of the scale in terms of pain Um, and so I, I wouldn't overblow what I was experiencing. It was very mild, but it was, it felt familiar. 
And, and so even though I was following her advice and doing everything she told me, I just had this kind of sense of, okay, this feeling is not a feeling I'm hoping for right now. Um, and, you know, as the morning progressed, so this had happened at, I don't know, seven in the morning or something as the morning progressed, that sense of period belly kind of increasing kind of ramped up and the bleeding went from just a very slight spotting to a bit more, to a bit more, to a bit more. And around lunchtime, I was lying on the sofa and I just felt this kind of like a, a little gush. Um, and I would say at that moment, I knew. Um, and, you know, obviously medical professionals, including my home birth midwife, tend to be very cautious about calling it. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody wants to, to say it before they're sure that that's what's happening because weird stuff can happen in pregnancy. Lots of weird stuff can happen. And so she was, you know, I was updating her frequently and we were in frequent contact, but she, she was not, she did not call it until a lot later, but I would say in that moment when I felt that gosh, I, I knew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went to the bathroom and I, was actually what I was most scared of was that it would, that my baby would come out into the toilet. I didn't want that to happen. Um, I wanted to honor that a lot from women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because when you go to a hospital and they scan you and stuff, they call it the products of conception. Um, so, you know, the blood, the tissue, the mucus, the what have you that comes out, they call products of conception. And like most of, of, you know, the medical world, it, it doesn't have an awful lot of feeling attached to it. It's just a description. Um, but I was very aware in that moment that whatever was going to come out of me was my baby. And, um, you know, it's, it's, something, a being that I had already made a connection with. And, um, and so, you know, there was at that point sort of quite a bit of blood coming out. And like I said, I was worried about her coming out into the loo. And so I was kind of trying to put my hand under myself. And so, you know, the blood was coming out onto my hand. And by the time he joined me in the bathroom. There was just like blood all over my hand and my legs and some on the floor and the toilet seat. And it, it felt, um, you know, I, I, there's a word that's rising in me that's devastating, but it wasn't, it wasn't devastating, which is interesting. I'm kind of shocking myself in this moment that it wasn't devastating. It was deeply sad Um, but it was also strangely part of the miracle that my body is capable of. I don't know. Um, 
these are new words that are coming out of my mouth. I've never said these before, so I'm kind of not really sure what what I mean. But um, you know, the I think so much of the reason we don't talk about miscarriage is because as a society, we are not okay with human life ending before old age. And we're not okay with the natural rhythms of our cycles. And again, I'm kind of shocking myself as these words come out of my mouth, but um, just as I had been tracking my cycle for three years, in a way, this was just part of me continuing to track that cycle. Um, from the moment that we had learned we were pregnant to the moment that that tiny life chose to leave my body. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it was sad and it's also a part of the miracle. Mm. Um, That's so eloquent, Laura. So eloquent. Whew. Uh, well, thank you, because, you know, I'm aware that, you know, it, it takes a lot to process this sort of thing and talking about it. You know, the reason we're talking about it today is because you saw me blogging about it on Instagram and I'm doing that. I don't know if people are reading it. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't, but I'm doing it as part of my own processing of what happened. Um, and so this conversation today is part of that too. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm, I feel, I feel very honored to be on the receiving end of this and to be able to, to hear, to hear your experience. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what were, um, people's reactions when you started sharing with people that you had had a miscarriage um, and when you started sharing it online? Sure. Um, I mean, unlike many people, I had chosen to share my pregnancy very early on. And so there were actually you know, I think one of the difficult things about sharing a miscarriage is if you haven't shared the pregnancy, how do you start with the miscarriage? And um, for whatever reason, and I think it was, I think there were several reasons why I chose to share my pregnancy early on, even though I knew that it might not go to full term. It's partly because I have chosen for whatever reason, right or wrong, to live my life as an open book. I talk about a lot of stuff on Instagram with clients, with friends, with family that that are considered not really things that you talk about. And 
so that's just how, the way I live my life now. And so just, it was just in keeping with that. I was, it was like, of course, I'm going to tell people that I'm pregnant right now. And the other part of it was, I think actually strategic, although I didn't even really know this at the time, which was that I knew that on some level, if I did lose the pregnancy, I needed to be able to share the grieving process and that it would be a lot easier to do that if I had shared what had happened up to that point. Mm. And, and so, you know, I live in a co-housing community and so I live with 30 people there. We all own our own houses separately, but we have, we share land in common and we eat together three times a week and we have meetings and stuff. And so in one of the monthly meetings, I'd shared with everyone that I was pregnant. So everyone there knew and my family knew, you know, uh, two hours after I did. And, um, and about, you know, by the time the miscarriage happened, I was basically telling anyone who would listen. Um, and so I think a couple of days before I had been buying some stuff at the, at the hardware store <laughs> and the, <laughs> and the woman who was checking me out at Lowe's, I was like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, so the, the list of people who knew I was pregnant was like my community, my family, the mailman, the woman at Lowe's, like, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. anyone who had basically come into contact with me and all of my girlfriends. And so when it happened, you know, the, the order in which people had found out the pregnancy was basically the order in which people found out about the miscarriage. So, you know, I, I called my parents a couple of, that day um, when it was still very raw and I, I couldn't say much at that point, but I just wanted them to know. And, um, and my sister, of course. And, and then a couple of days later, when I returned to my community, I told everyone there. And I, I have to say the response could, couldn't have been better. Um, there was so much compassion and, and I just loved that, you know, there's something about, even though we're not very good at grieving as a society, there is something about the loss of a tiny life that just breaks everyone open. And so I had so many women, you know, who, would come and they'd want to hug me and then they would tell me their story of loss. And I was, it was so beautiful. And I don't, you know, I'm sure that other women would have other responses to that. Um, Not everyone would want that, but for some reason that was what felt most connecting to me was this you know, a woman coming and delivering soup to me and telling me about her abortion that she still felt horrible about. And then another woman bringing me some flowers and weeping with me because she lost her son um, in his 50s. And and another woman telling me about her miscarriage, you know, and it just went on and on and on. And 
And then also just, you know, startlingly beautiful responses from my family. I mean, you know, I would say the pregnancy and loss strengthened my relationship with my family too. You know, my parents were super excited to become grandparents and, you know, very sad when this happened. And, you know, they're English and so they're not big on emotions. Um, And so it was very touching to experience them being emotional about it. It felt, again, just this connection Um, you know, grief is so connecting, um, and it can also be so disconnecting. And I realized how lucky I got that grief felt very connecting to me. I know it, it isn't that way for a lot of people. And, you know, I I don't know exactly why that was, but I, I do know that, um, I walked out, my main emotion walking out the other end of this has been deep, deep gratitude for the community I have. Um, I'm so grateful I wasn't alone when it happened. You know, my partner was with me every single step of the way. And um, I ended up having to go to the ER two weeks later, and we can go into that if you want. But um he happened not to be there that day and that was so much harder. Um, and so I just, I thank the universe for the way it went down, that I wasn't alone, that I had circles and circles of people around me just waiting to do the practical things that one needs after miscarriage, like bringing me food and so on. And also just the emotional work of, of grieving with me. Mm-hmm. And um, and share with us a little bit about the ER experience. What, like... Sure. Because I don't think a lot of people understand that right. aspect of it. Um, well, in order to, to go into that, I need to back up a little bit because it, it will make more sense. So, um, So on the day, you know... That first moment with the gush of blood, um, the baby did not come out. But then, um, you know, I was covered in blood at that point. And so my partner put me in the shower and I was, you know, just sort of crying and having some feelings in the shower. And then I was experiencing what essentially are contractions. I think, you know, again, this is something that I wasn't really fully aware of until it happened to me is, you know, I was getting contractions and, you know, I suppose, um, you could just call them cramps, but they felt pretty intense. And, you know, I, I have witnessed a lot of women giving birth at this point and I, my behavior sort of mirrored, I would say it mirrored what I observe in women in early labor. Um, so I would have moments in which I felt nothing really physically. And then this sort of wave of, uh, sensation that would be quite powerful. And if I could breathe with it and just sort of sink into it, it wouldn't be too painful. But if, but if it kind of caught me off guard and I wasn't ready for it and I wasn't breathing into it, then it would be quite painful. 
Um, and so again, you know, I'm aware just now having, as I say this, I don't think I've had this thought before that it would be nice to have a, a miscarriage doula. Um, because I, I do know that it was less physically painful for me when I was breathing into it and I was sinking into it and I was allowing, and it was much harder when I was sort of fighting it or not paying enough attention to my body. And, um, and so I was in the shower and a wave of this contraction came and I just knew I like, I don't know how I knew, but I knew she was about to come out. And so I reached down and she came out into the palm of my hand and, uh, she, I knew how big she was going to be cause I'd been tracking with using the little pregnancy app. I knew she was going to be the size of a strawberry and she was. Um, I would say she looked kind of like a large butter bean because she was still in a sack. And so the sack was the shape of a butter bean. And when she first came out, and I'm saying she, I don't know if it was a she. I just, that's what I'm saying. But when she came out, um, I had this moment of like, is this a baby? Because I wasn't quite sure, but I didn't really want to prod and poke what was there in my hand, I, I kind of intuitively felt like this was her, but I, I didn't have proof because like I said, it was kind of looked like a butter bean. And then over time, the, the sack settled and you could see more clearly what was inside it. And it was quite clearly her. And, um, you know, she had kind of a largish head and then, but, you know, at that point already at 10 weeks, a baby has all of their organs pretty much. And they have arms and legs and, you know, they, they look like a human. Um, and so I knew she had come out and then about half an hour later, I got another wave of contraction and I rushed to the toilet and what looked like a very tiny placenta came out. Um, and so I knew at that point that most of, you know, again, using medical terminology, most of the products of conception had come out. Um, and so I wasn't too worried. And I think, you know, what's, again, this is where educating ourselves and being in tune with what's happening is important because that question of, is it okay? Do I need to go to the hospital? Do I not? A lot of that revolves around, well, what has come out and what has not come out. Mm. And, and because I was sort of consciously going through it, um, you know, I was aware what had come out. And of course I also got lucky, you know, she could have come out, it could have come out into the toilet and I wouldn't have been sure. And I think that happens to a lot of women. It's like, well, what came out? I don't know. You know, I flushed it before I even knew. So I got lucky uh, on some level. Um, and so, you know, having, I had a discussion with my, my midwife after that. And, you know, again, she was being sort of much slower than me to really, really call it. But, you know, towards the end of that day, next day, she was like, okay, it's clear, you know, what's happened. And um, you can go to the ER if you want, but if you don't feel like it, you can stay for now. But then as the weeks went on and I was still bleeding, she was starting to say, you know, I would feel more comfortable if you went to the ER at some point or to a doctor, whatever, to an OB, to someone 
who can scam you and just check again, you know, what's come out and what hasn't. Um, and there are such varied responses, you know, again, women were contacting me who I knew, who I'd told, uh, one of my clients who gave birth right around that time had had four of her in miscarriages. And so she was an incredible resource for me. Um, and much more traumatic than my own miscarriage. And so I was just so grateful for her being there. And then a very, very dear friend of mine who lives in California had had her own miscarriage. And so I was getting lots of feedback about, you know, what to expect. And the truth was that it was clear that it was unclear what to expect because women have very varied experiences. So some women will bleed for a long, long time. Um, Afterwards? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, I spoke to one woman who um, had bled during one of her miscarriages, had bled for six months afterwards. Oh, my God. Yes. Now, I don't know. I haven't looked into it, and I don't know how common that is. But I think... I think part of the issue here is that because we don't talk about it and also because women don't necessarily seek medical help, there's all kinds of things happening that we, that even the medical profession doesn't know about. Um, and so I don't think it's fair to say that there is a normal here. Um, but I, you know, what I do know is that my midwife, you know, two weeks later when I was still bleeding, my midwife was starting to say, you know, I would feel more comfortable if you just got yourself checked out. Um, And, you know, she doesn't have a a, a scanning machine. So it was going to have to be, you know, some sort of um, hospital. And um, I was kind of pushing that off because, honestly, I'd had such... um, I was going to say nice experience. And again, the words that are coming out of my mouth are shocking me. But yeah, I had had such a nice experience with my miscarriage up to that point. And I use the word nice in in terms of it had not been traumatic. It had been sad. And I, there was a lot of grief happening in me, but there had been no trauma up to that point. And I was aware that in when I go to the OBGYN, and this, for, for whatever reason, has happened throughout my entire life. I cry every time I go to the OBGYN. And even for just like pap smears or whatever. And so I just had this sense of like, I, I just a dread of going, really. And the straw that broke the camel's back was I was um, doing some substitute teaching at a school with very tiny kids. And I picked up a two-year-old. And I knew as soon as I picked him up, I was like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. And I went from, like, my bleeding sort of tapering off to, to starting again. Um, and I was like, okay, I have to go to the ER. I don't know what's happening. And I was, I was really scared. It, you know, the irony is that this was the part that scared me. And, I, and of course, I don't know quite what other women's reactions are and if this is common, but the prospect of going in scared me. 
Um, so I went to my local ER and again, my blanket statement about that experience was that it was harder than the rest of the stuff in a way. And also it was as nice as it could have possibly been. Like I could not have experienced more compassion and empathy than I got. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, you know, from the, from the first moment I showed up and, you know, I was crying and the woman said, you know, why are you here? And I, I told her and she just immediately dropped in with me, um, in a way that I, you know, I think one of the reasons why hospitals scare me is because I don't experience that a lot. I don't experience people dropping in with me to, to the level I'm at, you know, emotionally. And when you mean, yeah, like dropping in, you mean like there's a shift in tone and care and handling of the yeah. situation. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the OB I had for most of my 30s uh, when I was living in Manhattan, you know, I'd be there in this very vulnerable situation with my legs apart, you know, with her rooting around inside my vagina. And she'd be like, so how's your PhD going? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I just, it felt so jarring to me. And I, I don't know why, but it just does. And it would make me want to cry every time. And even though I did cry for a lot of that ER visit, it felt like some of those tears were tears of relief that, the, you know, from the woman who checked me in to the woman who took my insurance card to the, you know, to the woman who took my blood to the nurse who, you know, just everyone was so deeply there with me and looking into my eyes and really taking care to acknowledge that this was an emotional moment. And Again, I got lucky they were all women. I think that helped, um, although I'm sure there could be many amazing men out there who could have done similar things. But it, there was like one person who came in, one woman who came in to do the actual scan, and she was very focused on the machine and very focused on the logistics of it and not really dropping in with me. And that was honestly the hardest part of the whole visit. Um but there was just this sense of like, like the woman who took my insurance card was like, can I give you a hug? <laughs> and I was, and it was just so beautiful. Like mm -hmm. just this moment of like collective acknowledgement of this is, this is hard. Yeah. And yeah. imagine if every person who was in a hospital, whether it was from like you know, a colonoscopy to heart surgery. Imagine if everyone got that, how different it would be mm. being in a hospital, you know? And so shout out to Kingston Hospital in upstate New York. They were absolutely amazing. And, you know, they, I was there a long time because, you know, stuff just takes a long time. And I was there on my own, which is the reason it felt the most hard, I think. Um, but you know, they, they did what they had to do. They did it as quickly as possible. They did it with loving care. And essentially what they were looking at was my hormone levels. So there are, there's a massive boost in hormones when you get pregnant. And what they're looking for is, has that come down low enough? And if it hasn't, 
uh, they're also then scanning you to look at, okay, is that hormone level not back down again because there's still a ton of stuff inside you? And so between the hormone levels and the scan, they determined, okay, you still have some way to go, but we're not concerned. Um, and they just reassured me that, you know, you may continue to bleed for a while, but as it stands, you know, we recommend you go to your OB in a month or so, but we're not, we're not particularly concerned about you. Hmm. And you, um, so after that visit, you, your hormones continued to sort of decrease over time and you did you end up going to see your OB after that did I go to the OB I, I don't think I did actually I'm trying to think no I'm I'm lying I did I um I booked myself in with a practice that I really trusted I found out about a practice that was run by midwives and um I went there and they kind of gave me the final sign off um, and also did that in a totally awesome and loving way. Um, and, um, and so the whole thing from start to finish, you know, from the first moment of the miscarriage to that kind of sign off was about two months, I want to say. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, I never knew that. I never knew that. And I'm sure, like you said, it varies from person mm -hmm. to person. Um, but wow, that, I mean, that's, that's a long two months. That's a long two months. Well, you know, I, I think the the process is happening on so many levels, right? It, there's the physical stuff, there's the emotional stuff, there's the relationship stuff, there's the letting go of expectations about what was about to happen stuff. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of watching videos on YouTube since then, because thank God more and more women are now posting about their miscarriage experiences. Yeah. And I think that was one thing we talked about the other day that this really brought you to YouTube to search for other women who are sharing their experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think it, it helps actually that, so both Instagram and I think YouTube as well, I may be wrong here, but there's been a big breakthrough in the last year because for a long time, um, anything that showed pictures of birthing or boobies or vaginas was considered pornographic and it would be censored. Oh, and God, I can't <laughs> believe I'm, I mean, that's a whole other episode. Right <laughs> oh yeah. You could definitely do a whole other episode on that. And oh. in the last little while, and I'm not sure exactly how long there's been a lift on that because of, you know, basically some stunning work from a few individuals who really pushed it. And so there's been this explosion of birthing videos and women showing their actual births and talking about them. And so I, I, I had this feeling that maybe there was also an explosion of people talking about miscarriages and whilst it's less, it's a smaller percentage, um, they are there. And so I started to watch them and I, you know, 
I have to say that my it 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 really added to my feeling of deep gratitude for the way it it went down for me because it can be so much harder than what I experienced. Um, you know, I think it, it feels like a blessing to me that the first I knew of it was when it actually physically started to come out. Um, because having watched a lot of these women's stories, often the first moment begins with having a scan and there's no heartbeat. And so then you're just waiting for it to actually happen. And I can only imagine how that feels. Um, and, you know, I, again, what I'm about to share is my own personal opinion. And I, and I, I would never put this on anyone else because I think everybody has to deal with pregnancy and birth the way that they feel safe. But, you know, I had not had a scan at 10 and a half weeks because the way I was choosing to deal with my pregnancy was to do as few scans as possible. Um, and, and it just, it does feel like a blessing that, cause I don't technically know when my baby's heart stopped beating, you know, it could have been, I, I don't know. It could have been a few days before it could have been two weeks before. I don't know. And, um, I, I, but then I also know, and it's clear having watched these videos that some women's reaction is like, I, I, I want to know from the first moment that, that things are happening, I want to know. And so, um, I, I again, I really honor the way that diff, different women do it differently. Mm-hmm. And what suggestions do you have for women who might be going through something similar? Um, I mean, I'm hesitating partly because I think, you know, that there is a real divide in me about whether suggestions are helpful or not, because I, I am, I'm so aware that I think, you know, on the one hand, knowledge is power and, um, hearing from, I think a lot of women, I'm hearing from other women, I wish I'd known what this was like. And so I think I I have chosen to share my experience so that if women do go through it, it's not the first they've heard of any of this stuff. And also I'm aware that the way I handled it was the way that felt right to me. Um, And so I, I offer the following suggestions with a huge caveat of like, this is just what worked for me. Um, so, um, feel your feelings. Um, you know, my, I felt, um, a lot of distress on that first day, a lot of sadness. Um, and then the next couple of days I felt numb. And so I felt the numbness and then, um, And we actually buried her under a tree during that day. And it was just, I was like, okay, I'm watching this happening and I'm watching her go into the earth and I'm feeling numbness. Okay, I'm feeling the numbness. Um, And then the next feeling that washed over me was relief. 
And so I felt the relief. And, you know, I've heard a couple of women share um, shame about having felt a sense of relief at having miscarried. And it just is what it is. Like, I'm not choosing the feelings I had, but I had relief. And I think that relief was partly about money. Like, I have no idea how I would have paid for that tiny life. I don't, you know, um, being a birth doula with an infant is not a thing. (laughs) And I didn't really know how else I would be funding my life. And so I felt the relief and I felt that feeling. And then the next feeling I felt was grief again and weaving in and out. And it comes at different periods. You know, I, I'll have several days of being completely fine and I feel joy and humor. And, and so I love those feelings. And again, I've heard, heard women express shame. Like it's got to be all or nothing. If I'm grieving the loss of this pregnancy, I can't feel joy. I can't be living in normal life. I can't experience. I, I, I just allowed myself to experience whatever the hell was happening. Um, and so, yeah, when, when I'd have a few good days and then a, and then a hard day and then a few more good days and then another hard day and the hard days would come up out of nowhere. And the last one was just a few days ago, probably a week ago, I have been looking after a client's tiny baby. So I saw her being born in December. I was their birth doula and um, the baby is now three months old and it's been really healing um, to be around a baby. I wasn't sure at the beginning if it would be healing or not, but it has been. And I was reading her a little book a week ago that was like, I, I think it's called something like I loved you even before I knew you or something. Mm. I've heard of that one. I've heard of that. It's a really sweet book. And it's like, I loved you before I knew you, you know, before the bees were making honey, there was you and there was me. And there's like a picture of a star in the sky for you and a star in the sky for me. And then I loved you before the elephants roamed the prairies. There was you and there was me and there's the stars again. And just, I just started Mm. crying. Mm. You know, I just a wave hit me and I started crying. And again, because my client knows what happens happened and I share everything, I just walked into the room where she was working and I said, I need a hug. And um, we hugged and cried together. And, you know, she asked what it was about. And I said, I'd been reading the story and a wave of grief had crashed over me and, and I felt it. And five minutes later, I was fine again. So, yeah, so feel your feelings, um, whatever they are, even if they don't seem, quote, appropriate, um, because they are what they are and we don't choose them. And, um, you know, I, I have to say two, three months, what are we now, four months out from when it started, from when the miscarriage happened, I, I don't feel traumatized. And I don't. Again, I, I have no proof of why, but I think maybe it's because I allowed the feelings to happen no matter what, mm. I think. Well, and it sounds like, I don't know, I mean, from on this end, it sounds like you really leaned into them, too. You didn't, re- 
you didn't try to suppress or refuse or restrict them in any way, which is, um, which is beautiful. Yeah. Really beautiful. And, um, as we wrap up here, Laura, is there anything that I have not asked you that you feel like is really important to share regarding this topic? No, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Sorry. Had to pause for a second there, but no. No. (laughs) Pauses are fine and worthy and accepted here. Um, Well, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story. And I know that um, in sharing our stories, you know, a lot of women feel seen and heard who haven't had the courage to share. So I, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking to us today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And like I said, I really appreciate you giving the space for these conversations because they're healing for, this has been healing for me too. And, um, I'm so glad to hear that. I, um, if people wanted to keep up with you and your story on Instagram, could they, could they follow you at all? Sure. Um, you can find me at doula for your soul. So that's D O U L A F O R your soul, doula for your soul. And my website is also doula for your soul.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, Laura, I'm like sending you a virtual hug. Like, mm, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you, Millie. Yeah. All right. We'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bums, and see you next week.